Hello, welcome to another episode of Filmed in Canada. We're a podcast about Canadian films. We're we're a podcast about Canadian movies. Let's get into it, shall we? Right away. Movies versus films. Uh, What is the appropriate usage? Everything you need to know about the distinction is explained in the movie Bowfinger. Oh. The only thing I remember from Bowfinger is when Eddie Murphy is running across the highway. <laughs> I think we covered that in a in earlier uh, podcast as well. We yeah. talked about Bowfinger. It remains the only thing that I remember from Bowfinger. <laughs> uh, I'm William Lee. And I'm Alexander Cairns. We are um, we're recovering after 16 days of the Vancouver International Film Festival. And uh, we're going to give you some of our thoughts about the film festival that is already over. Or particularly the films within the film festival, not the festival itself. Well, okay. You don't want to hear me gripe about sponsors. Powered by Lexus. <laughs> Lexus kept the lights on. Yeah. Lexus brought you every Q&A. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Christy, I think, did a good job. I like their uh, little opening logo thing. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, the sort of definitely the least annoying of the uh, sponsors' logos. <laughs> there was a... There was a contingent of people at the festival, of which I was at a few of the screenings, that would applaud during the Christie look. <laughs> like when Christie came up, like yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> some some of those people I know, and I did partake in the the Christie clapping. All right, where are we going to start? Let's um, let's start by talking about some of the Canadian movies we saw. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that, we'll just open it up to other comments about the festival. Perfect. Yeah. Um, maybe I could start with the last Canadian film I saw, uh, which was Window Horses. Okay. It was actually the last one I saw in the festival. Really? That was actually the first one I saw. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if, uh, if I could point out. Um, that it won some of the awards. Um, so it won the Best BC Film Award. As well as the Best Canadian Feature. Uh, yeah, so it's to two separate uh, juries uh, gave it an award. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about Window Horses. It's pretty good. I agree. I like it. Yeah. I like it, yeah. Um, I, it, was, it was one of the ones I, um, I submitted a short review about but uh, That's right. you know, without any uh, without further details, but now I think it's supposed to get a bigger release in the spring. I certainly hope so. Yeah, yeah. so it definitely might, want more uh, people to see it. Again. I would I would be surprised if it doesn't get a major push for an Oscar nomination in say the animated feature category. Yeah, because hmm. like I mean, Zootopia was good or whatever, but like in terms of animation, there's just so much on display in window horses like there's so many different styles and uh, techniques employed and i'm not an expert in any of them but i just felt very visually interesting Uh Uh, obviously for the fact that it's 2d which you don't see a whole lot of these days but also just because um yeah just like like some of it looked like it was charcoal some of it looked like it was um like it just had all these different styles blending throughout yeah, there was. Uh, are you specifically talking about like the the parts where they read the poetry, and then it, it looks like there's like a different guest director is doing a different style to, yeah. to illustrate the poetry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love those moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, when they get into the family histories, like those. Some sometimes those segments had had a different visual feel to them. And yeah, I think it'd be. I think it's too artsy for the Oscars for that uh, category because that 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 seems to, the animated feature seems to be really 
um, honoring Disney driven, <laughs> Pixar driven, or DreamWorks. And, yeah, it, it seems to honor like the big studio yeah. uh, features. But right? uh, Anomalisa got a, got nominated last year. Didn't win. Yeah, but it got. No- I'm, sa- I'm saying it should get a push for an Oscar nomination. There's a lot that get nominated, like yeah. uh, the, A Tale of Princess Kaguya got nominated. Yeah. Um, Secret of Kells, I think, got nominated last uh, year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, Secret of Kells was a couple years ago, but the same director he made another one, Song of the Sea. Yeah. That was nominated. Yeah. Right. So they they nominate different ones. Yeah. Uh, that's trolls. all. That's all I'm hoping for. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe they'll get nominated. Maybe they'll get a token nomination. I would think. I would think you'd have to go with Kubo and the Two Strings. This mm-hmm. is this is our. If anyone has an Oscar pool, these are our predictions. Finding Dory. Finding Dory, Zootopia, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully Window Horses, um, and probably the Red Turtle. Oh, maybe yeah. If, yeah. if that gets a wide release before Oscars, yeah. Well, it doesn't need a wide release. Well, not it wide, just, but it needs a North American release. Yeah, release. Release. Yeah. Um, so Window Horses wouldn't qualify on that basis at this point. If yeah, because it it's still touring before. Festivals, yeah, yeah, def- if, yeah. It's um, very young audience friendly. Would you yeah. agree? Um, I, I I'd s- say it's pretty balanced. Okay, yeah. but I think in terms of like, it's the adventure of a young girl. She doesn't really encounter a lot of real life complications on her journey. It's about it's uh, you know she she's able to travel by herself to a to an exotic locale. Everyone helps her achieve her little quest. It's I, it's it's a very safe movie, I think. Yeah, but I I don't know. To a certain degree, um, like it feels safe, and I mean, I think that's by design. I think it's it's certainly wanting to present Iran as a place of of culture and um, uh just exploring the people rather than rather than trying to present any any kind of political element or getting into any of like the racial attitudes that we as Canadians might might feel to towards a country that we really know nothing about because I I don't know a lot about Iran so I thought it was I thought it was interesting that it, that it it did just it just felt like a like a place that was sort of this this bedrock of poetry and and it was just natural that they were there and um, that there wasn't any conflict from that kind of political or, or cultural aspect of it. I, I think it has a very impactful final few minutes, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, and it wouldn't feel like that if it hadn't kind of built up its mythology and, and um, the history of the characters okay. over the... You think it earned seventy-five uh, minutes there's, previous? Yeah, there's an emotional ending. You think it's earned? Yeah, yeah. I I don't deny it that. Um, I talked to somebody else who um, who was moved by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't really have anything against the movie. Yeah, but I'll say this uh, for my own personal take on it: the main story, um, like that, happens sort of in the in the present time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that, that is like not the fantastical poetry readings and stuff like that. I just wish the animation was a bit more interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just thought the character design was kind of one note. Um, well, the, the 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 main protagonist has a different character design than anyone else in the movie. Yeah, which she's, I found, a, she's a stick figure, yeah, and everyone which, else is. Which I found a bit um, um, not distracting, but it just stood out as like she's different from everyone else. Yeah. But all the characters, um, I just I thought their character design, especially their faces, it just didn't it didn't allow for a lot of acting 
Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought all of the all the acting came through from the voice actors rather than yeah. from the animation. And that was um, so I thought I thought that was a little bit lacking. Um, yeah. Yeah. I f- I feel like it's it's trying to do some things in terms of um like breaking down racial barriers to a degree. And so I feel like it could be by design that that the characters almost blend together to a certain degree other than like their skin tone because it's just trying to present these people as humans and and like not not create any kind of barrier or or difference between them okay i'm i it's not that they um that they would look uh that they're that the drawings would um convey any sort of ethnicity it was it was that they don't convey that it's the same it's the same drawing to convey happiness or sadness okay or confusion or excitement like they're they're just i just thought their faces didn't change a lot okay um also the movements were just very kind of rudimentary Mm -hmm. um and um it it was simple and i mean that's by design yeah that's that's what their decision their creative decision is um but i just i thought it was it could have been more interesting okay so and uh, okay um one last thing um which i don't mean to be a criticism but it's just um one as a as a viewer of of animation things some things kind of stick out uh, for me and there was one scene where there was a sequence of close-ups between two characters, and instead of instead of re-rendering um, the drawings with a close-up, they actually zoomed in on it so that it looked blurry for okay. uh, for a couple of sequences. And I thought that was very distracting. Like it's it's animation. I think these are rendered off a computer, yeah. or um, or if they're hand-drawn, they could still be they could still be reshot. But you can just reshoot a couple of, of shots um, in a tighter frame rather than uh, in, rather than resorting to blowing up footage that you already have so, okay a little distracting that's all i'm saying cool yeah uh what's next what's next i'll tell you about the last canadian movie you don't point at me well no one's gonna see but. <laughs> well, yeah but i saw <gasps> okay of course you're gonna tell me because we're the only two people in the room right yeah <laughs> feel free the, to point it's sure the, the 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 physical the physical banter doesn't play well on the radio <laughs> of course it does we're creating a picture in our listeners minds uh, what were we talking about we um, were talking about something that you were going to tell me the about. last the last canadian film i saw was uh, keepers of the magic okay. uh, which was a documentary um about cinematographers yeah uh, so local filmmaker Vic Saren he uh, he spent the last five years compiling these interviews with uh, some of the best cinematographers in the world I say in the world but in the final result it is mostly um, white guys from uh, from the states and, and England so, uh, in the, which tends to be the case for most media that we consume seems to be yeah <laughs> just defaults to white but, guys uh it's just like great interviews with cinematographers of like of, of big movies um they they talk about their process uh they analyze their own um their own clips and uh show what they're doing it's only an hour and a half unfortunately because i could have watched that for another hour it's like yeah, yeah, really yeah. fascinating stuff um the editor was there introducing it and taking questions he said that they got funding to make it for Canadian TV so um, I think it'll so watch for it uh, to be broadcast on Canadian TV sometime okay um, but they don't have uh, the current cut with the with the clips that they have 
from other movies. It's not um, it's not cleared for uh, theatrical showing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it might be if it if it if it ends up somewhere beyond the festivals, the, it might be a different cut. Is it is it e- easier to get the rights for that stuff for TV? I, I don't know. I guess it's just I guess whatever kind of money they could scrounge up has certain it could clear footage for certain uses but not others. Okay. Yeah. Now and uh, the other interesting thing from that Q and A though at um, Keepers of the Magic, somebody asked the editor, why didn't you guys talk about 3D? And he said that it just didn't come up as an issue. They, it wasn't in part of their questions, and none of the cinematographers volunteered any, any thoughts on 3D. Um, and at that point, uh, Alan Franey, who was one of the programmers, he used to be the director of the festival. Okay. Um, so he also offered um, this tidbit about 3D. A couple of years ago, they were getting a lot of submissions uh, of movies in 3D, so they would have to schedule uh, certain theaters to show that. Yeah. So he said this year they got they received no submissions in 3D. Oh wow. So it, it he thinks that maybe we're getting to the end of that trend where yeah. it was where it's a thing. But, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was, oh yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings actually. That's like the only movie that I've seen maybe ever that I like actually enjoyed 3D. Otherwise, I just never I I don't notice it or it like hurts my eyes. So. Yeah, I would be totally okay with 3D not existing anymore. Same here, but maybe we're reaching the end of that uh, fad. Did you? Uh, did you have another Canadian movie you wanna? Yeah, head on? yeah. How about this? Lights Above Water, a uh, documentary about. Uh, I'm not even gonna hazard a guess at the name of the like tribe or nation or whatever you want to call it, but it's a, it's about. A uh, number of First Nations children in—I uh, don't even know, man. Because I, I, I guess I just—I'm not that up on what's going on in that whole portion of our country. That's kind of spread all over, and like you know, we took their land at some point, and it just—it's just a mess. Yeah, and okay. I don't know what's going on. Can you narrow it down to a province to start with? I, I don't think I can actually. Oh, okay. Somewhere in the east, though, maybe even Manitoba. I don't know. Anyway, it's about it's it's only about an hour and a bit long, maybe. But um, it was part of that future present program that I mentioned in the previous episode, and um, it's just sort of this, I guess, experiential documentary. Like it doesn't it doesn't sort of offer any voiceover or um, any contextualization about who these kids are or what they're doing with their lives or anything like. I mean, they're all quite young, but. Um, I mean, one one of the girls at one point makes reference to her daughter, to her sister, her older sister that's going off to art school and university, and but it, but it seems like that's not very much a a part of their experience. That um, they're they're just kind of living on on whatever whatever reserve, and um, that's about it. But it 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 was interesting just for the experience of just kind of like being thrown into the chaos of of the world of a bunch of children like Hmm. just in terms of like they go out like they go out hunting with these with these pellet guns at one point and like they shoot this bird but it doesn't die and so they're like hitting it with a rock and like but but to them it's just it's just totally natural because because he's just saying like you know we don't want it to suffer and like we already shot it so like we got to do something how old are these kids uh they they couldn't have been more than like 12 yeah you just kind of get a sense that they're kind of off on their own a lot of the time and not really 
uh, there's not it doesn't seem like there's much supervision and they and they're just kind of existing and and um, but but you you definitely feel that they have a connection to like their language and their culture um, despite not externally living within it to a certain degree in the sense that they're they're certainly in a like a colonialized community i guess you could say in the, in the sense that they're they're in they're in some suburban subdivision and you know they go to school and whatever but um is it formally like a reserve land i i don't know it doesn't even really offer that hmm. yeah it's so uh there there were there were some title cards at the beginning setting up some things but it, i don't know it's been long enough that i can't really recall that but uh but as an example there was one exchange where the kid is kind of talking about how he sees this bear off in the distance and then he he sort of yells to the bear and the bear turns around and they have this exchange and he's like you know i i just had a had a quick chat with this bear like and 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 just how that like that just that, that just feels very natural to them obviously and and um i don't know i feel like i feel like this is coming off as like an ignorant white dude talking about this movie because i because i just don't really have much frame of reference but i guess in summation it's it's an interesting portrayal of of this community of children and uh, it's worth checking out if possible lights above water yeah okay what do you got uh okay i got a documentary for you um, which, uh, incidentally, is an award winner, I think. Let me just uh, check my notes. Um, so the Best Canadian Documentary Award went to Living with Giants. Uh, directors Sebastian Rist and Aude Leroux Levesque. 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 I used to work with a Levesque. Yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, that last part, it's like, is it going to be one sound or two sounds? <laughs> um, so Living with Giants uh, focuses on an Inuit community. Um, I think it's in northern Quebec. Um, so the filmmakers, uh, they had access to the community because they did another documentary uh, about some youth from, uh, from the north who went to Peru or something. Anyway. Yeah. But one of those uh, kids invited them to the community because uh, he was like, hey, you want to make a documentary, you should, you know, you, you come come to my home and you can make a documentary about me. So it turns out this kid that they followed around, he was, uh, he's like an expert hunter and he's a provider for the community and uh, and he's finishing high school. Um, we we meet him and his family and his girlfriend and uh, it, it starts out with, uh, you know, kind of observing that they're just, they're, they're almost normal high school kids. And they're in this small community, and they have aspirations to like do something else. Like she wants to go to a, a bigger town, and and he wants to uh, you know be more of a, a somebody in the community and all that stuff, right? Um, now it's it's a documentary that shows you a lot of um, moments from their lives, um, and and often it would show you a moment that you don't really know why it's happening until you until it's over and you can relate it to what came before what, or what came after. So there's not a, there's not a lot of ex- explicit explanation about uh, this is what the scene is about, this is where they're going. It just kind of lets you observe it and then make sense of it later. Mm-hmm. So the... Um, so I, I don't want to... I don't really want to give away the ending or how it turns out, but I mean, it's, it's based on real events and um, the story that they're following, it, it, it turns out kind of tragically, um, not, 
not unsurprisingly, I guess, like given, given the circumstances. So the filmmakers, um, they wanted to make a movie about the community that was positive. Um, they said it's, it's not going to be about alcoholism and violence and suicide. And unfortunately, that's, it, that's exactly where it turns out, you know, uh, just because of uh, circumstances. And it's, mm. uh, so it's, really, it's really sad. It's kind of, uh, because, because of the way it just observes the community and, and lets you take it in, it's kind of poetic in that way. But at the Q&A after the uh, screening, I, I did get the sense that a lot of people were, were wanting some more explanation because they would ask questions about like, well, um, after they went to Montreal, like what was the, what was the uh, result of going to that court appearance or what were the circumstances of this other thing? And those, those things just didn't really, they weren't um, told exactly in the, in the documentary. So is it part of the text of the film that they're that they did not intend to to make the sort of stereotypical version of of that story or or I think they I think they really wanted to avoid that and I think because of of how it turns out I'm guessing because of their close relationship with uh with the with the guy they were following and his and his uh, family and community they wanted to be respectful too they didn't want to just turn it into a like a fifth estate kind of expose about like what went on in the community. They mm-hmm. just, I, I think they want it to be uh, still something that honored what they were doing. Right. So maybe, maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, uh, I think it, it was, I think it was worth the, definitely worth seeing even, even with the fact, even like with the observation that it seemed like some of the audience was frustrated by how a lot of, uh, a lot of the dots didn't connect. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so I got Nelly, director's Anne Amon, and um, she did one that was in the Canada's top ten this year that I really liked, Les Êtres Chers. I, I can't remember the, the English title, but um, Our Loved Ones was the English title, and uh, that's a story about kind of like familial suicide and how that kind of follows this one, this particular family through the generations to a degree, and. Um, like less than 12 months later she's she's got a new film out it's about this author named Nelly Arcan uh like so it's a it's a biopic about this author who um not surprisingly committed suicide I, I the reason I sort of thought to bring it up next is because you were saying with this this uh, this documentary what, what was the name again sorry uh, living with giants. Yeah, so with well, living with giants was kind of had this experiential feel to it, and you didn't necessarily know where one scene was leading or anything like that. This definitely has a similar feel in the sense that um, you see this author at different points in her life, um, and it doesn't necessarily set up how she gets from one to the next. This just kind of you just see scenes from. From these different segments in her life and um to that degree it was it was kind of frustrating like you just i couldn't really feel like i understood the character and her motivations and and ultimately why she does commit suicide um but that also could be part of the part of the experience i guess because i guess like suicide is one of those things that like you just it's just so hard to pin down like okay why why what is the reason like it can just 
I feel like it's just one of those things that can just progress out of just general mental illnesses that you just don't really like I guess just in my own experience trying to like get to the root cause of of some anxiety that I have or something like that can be very challenging and so I guess it makes sense to a certain degree that in a film about a person's suicide you you wouldn't really have all the answers but I still don't feel like it fully succeeds in that expression of just exploring this person's mental illness what what I do think was quite interesting was how uh, like she was a she was a call girl um, slash prostitute I guess you could say Um, just sort of more I guess like a like a high-end prostitute I don't know if I don't know if call girl immediately implies prostitute yeah or do you mean like escort? She was okay. Is it sort of more um, in the gray zone? Which is yeah. I, I don't know what the I don't know if there's like a Webster's definition for for call girl or or whatever. But is it just slang or would it have a definition? Okay. Anyway, yeah. what I did find interesting was um, how it explored. It's not it's not like outwardly specified that she has a sexual addiction, but it's certainly suggestive that. Um, the sexual experiences that she explores have a negative impact on her psyche and um, and there's certainly like impulsive behaviors that she's engaging in um, and you just don't see that very often so I, I thought that was interesting okay yeah I want to talk about prostitutes later when we okay. get to short films oh but I think um in terms of definition, I think prostitute is just like a term meaning someone who um, like trades sex for money, prostitute. But right. I think I think call girl is a, a more specific uh, like subcategory of prostitute, right? A call girl has a, uh, I guess she has a, a beeper versus a hooker who doesn't have a beeper. A beeper? <laughs> I think it's mostly done on the internet these days, bro. <laughs> so she takes appointments. Call girls take appointments and, and hookers just, uh, they take walk-ups. Okay. This uh, has been very insightful. What do you got? Do you want to talk about Hello Destroyer at all? Sure. Because um, that was also an award winner. Um, the director got the most promising, best emerging, uh, sorry, BC's Emerging Filmmaker Award uh, was given to uh, Kevin Funk for Hello Destroyer. And I don't want to. I don't want to be all about awards, but I just just because like they they um, you know they were the ones that kind of stood out from the pack, I guess, and I, I thought we might give them a little bit of uh, uh, podcast time because of that. Um, so Hell of Destroyer was the the movie about the young hockey player who is ostracized from his team and in the community because he commits a bad hit on ice and um, he has to go home to his, uh, to his, to his abusive father. Uh, it's about all that. So it's about, it's about this, this culture of violence uh, in hockey. Yeah, I think I agree with this award. I think it is. I think it's an appropriate recognition of an emerging filmmaker. I think Kevin Funk shows that like he's he's a really confident director. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the control over the the mood for the film. Um, I thought I thought uh, visually like it was all up a piece. So it wasn't like he wasn't trying too many different stylistic flourishes or anything he just like it seemed like he committed to it's got to look and feel this way and i really admire that mm-hmm. i just i just wish i could have connected with the character a bit more sure yeah yeah i'd say the same 
and I found the slaughterhouse scenes really unsettling mm-hmm. and unnecessary, mm-hmm. I guess. Especially, like, it definitely looked like they murdered a cow in, yeah, the, that looked, in the movie. That looked all that totally was real. was not digital. No. I, yeah, I, 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 I wish there was a bit of warning that that was going to come up. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I just it, don't see how that was relevant at yeah. all. It's an interesting choice in that movie. Like, considering, too, that the event that sets off the movie... Um, the the violence on ice, it happened so quickly um, that I'm not sure I even saw it. Like I, the, so the the central event, I can't even see it. I'm not even sure if it happened. Yeah, I know. And then they spend so much time watching real murder, or sorry, I mean, it's, it's animal killing. Uh, I guess I can't. You really could say call it's a murder. murder. It's a murdering of an animal. But Peter would call it murder. Sure. Um, but yeah, there's the real violence. Um, that seems like it's out of place. We spend a lot of time on it. And the, the central bit of violence that we're supposed to uh, be concerned about, we hardly see it at all. Yeah. It's, very, it's an odd choice. Yeah, I, um, I, I honestly like, almost missed that he hit anyone. <laughs> mm. I didn't catch that at all. Yeah. Um, I was waiting for some kind of um, minor spoilers coming. So just so jump ahead one minute if you, if you just want to. Uh, not hear this but I I just thought there was some images toward the end that I was waiting for a payoff like like what does it mean that you were going to show this animal slaughter that we're, that we're going to show him that we're going to show the shot cleaning up the slaughter there's the the, the the cleansing fire of uh, of that demolition that he's working on I just thought there were things that I wanted to pay off thematically and they didn't it was just like there were things that could be symbolic in another movie mm-hmm. but but they just seem to be they just seem to sit there in this one without connecting with the character yeah um i'd it reminded me of um denis villeneuve in terms of another canadian director Mm -hmm. um and just in particular like like you were saying how like the visual style is very deliberate and the mood feels very deliberate um and even like the sort of like just kind of like low rumbling score like there wasn't really like there wasn't a melodic melodic score i guess you could say mm-hmm. um and also the kind of shock ending that villeneuve can go for a lot of the time like it, it just he seemed to pop up in my head a lot um and I would say like the movies of his that I've liked less are the ones where, yeah, you couldn't really connect with the characters as much. Um, so I guess that will, that will be Kevin Funk's challenge as a, as a director to, to really, um, I guess, get, get deeper into the motivations for his characters, perhaps. Mm-hmm. If that's his concern. Yeah. 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 It could not be. What else did you see, Alexander? Operation Avalanche. Um, directed by Matt Johnson, who I guess a few years ago did one, uh, what was it called? Um, that about the, the school shooting, the kids' school shooting. A fiction film? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. But anyway, um, I guess he's been, he sort of emerged as this, like kind of lo-fi do-it-yourself filmmaker and he's like very much 
outwardly opposed to telefilm and and just kind of all the existing structures that support the Canadian film industry and um, is just kind of doing it on his own much like I guess like Shane Carruth could be considered his American counterpart um, so Operation Avalanche is a mockumentary of sorts about um, a couple of FBI agents that go undercover as a film crew um, to sort of keep tabs on NASA as they are preparing for the moon landing in 1969? I think it's... Yeah? Yeah. Um, Sometime in the 60s anyway. Um, and when they come to discover that NASA is going to uh, fail, they attempt to fake the moon landing. Hmm. <laughs> and so, um, as part of the production of the film, they actually did break into NASA, essentially. Hmm. Like, they got into the, the building under false pretenses in order to shoot the, the movie that they wanted to about the faking of the moon landing, but really they were pretending it was about something to do with something else. I don't know. I've, they did a Q&A. I didn't stay for the Q&A because it was quite late, um, but it is on the VIF Vimeo page, and I've been meaning to go back and watch it because uh, he, he just seems like an entertaining guy in general. And um, Actually, he was on the Imposter podcast, which was uh, a lot of fun to listen to. But... Um, yeah, it, it, like it's really, it's just a really fun kind of fast-paced, just and and like you literally like n- not only do you get the sense that the movie itself was made on a shoestring and and just like throwing things together as they could, but like you also get the feeling that, that like that that bleeds into the film itself because it's about these two guys who are amateur filmmakers who are now tasked with having to successfully fake like low gravity situations and all the stuff that um that stanley kubrick had just done in um 2001 space odyssey and so and they do make some tangential um connections to kubrick because it was it was rumored that he was part of the the faking of the moon landing for for those conspiracy conspiracy theorists out there who believe that it was in fact faked and uh, there's a car chase scene at one point that is like riveting and it's like a single shot from the back single take from the backseat of this car and like it's like you can there's no stunt drivers or anything it's just like you feel that this guy is driving this car and like he could legitimately danger himself like he's he's they're put they're putting the entire crew in danger to get this shot because they just have no other option because they have no no budget and no crew and whatever and it's like but it's like very entertaining it's um definitely an interesting movie it's actually already played in american theaters yeah i saw some i saw some websites uh had reviewed it yeah but i don't think it's i don't think it's had a release in canada and that Mm -hmm. perhaps in part because of his protestations regarding the canadian film industry i don't know (laughs) but uh yeah i'm definitely looking forward to checking out more of his stuff in the future and and going back and seeing that uh that school shooting one that he had done so mm, okay yeah what you got any canadiana okay so um yeah i saw zacharias Canuck's um new 
Inuit action movie, uh, Malikulitet, or The Searchers. And uh, I, I was riveted by that. So I thought it was really good. Um, piece, I mentioned in my, uh, my short written review about it that the camera just spends a lot of time watching them do stuff. And, and I was thinking, would this, would this sustain my attention if it was another movie? Like if it was, if it was just like a, um, a Hollywood drama, but we had to take a moment so that the protagonist could make lunch. I wonder if I would, if I'd be interested at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, maybe I wouldn't be. So I think the fact that it's about people surviving in the Arctic, um, they have to deliberately like uh, make sure that they're being fed yeah. as they're going uh, uh, sledding. With dogs and you know, uh, I just I, found I it, think there's certainly ways to make those scenes interesting. Yeah, it, but they didn't. They didn't really. Uh, they didn't like go through a lot of trouble to like add flourishes to the action or like make yeah. a lot of cuts. It was just like we'll just like let the just let the camera run, and the actors have to do this thing. You got to stop the sled and you gotta you gotta bring out your um, frozen fish and yeah. chop some off of it. And it was just it's, it's I just found it really interesting. Yeah. Um, so. I was glad for um, the chance to see it in the theater, yeah. where I could concentrate on that because because uh, I think I, I I might be distracted if I watch that at home too. Yeah, but um, but it was good to to watch that movie in the theater. I know you're not a P.T. Anderson fan, but there that just what you're describing reminds me of the opening of There Will Be Blood. Okay, you always say that I'm not a P.T. Anderson fan, but I go to most of his movies. I see most of his movies, even though I you know I'm not like crazy about his movies. So, yeah, yeah. But you're not a fan, are you? I don't have to see all of his movies. Have you seen Inherent Vice? I haven't seen Inherent no. Vice, but I probably will. Yeah, yeah. And Punch Drunk Love's getting a release on Criterion. High five. <laughs> Punch Drunk Love maybe is my favorite movie of his. Yeah, so. of course, it's yeah. the best one. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, but just in terms of like seeing characters do things that could kind of be boring, it just reminded me of Never Eat Alone Again because mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the scenes are just long takes of the characters either preparing their meals or eating their meals and just kind of existing in their loneliness. And um, that's that's essentially what the film is about. So obviously that they have to be there, but they don't, yeah, they, they don't feel boring. Hmm. Uh, and I did want to mention briefly that, uh, that Never Eat Alone did win an award as well for um, best or um, best first feature, maybe? Uh, um, the Emerging Canadian Director, presented yep. by Directors Guild of Canada. There you go. As opposed to Kevin Funk, who was the Emerging BC Director. That's right. Okay. Got it. Um, uh, so back to that um, future present program, uh, one called The Intestine, hmm. uh, which is about this girl who just kind of has a service job um ends up meeting this guy they he, he takes her home uh and then he just disappears and so she's just left in this home and she just decides she's going to stay for a while and um ends up staying for a long while and then ends up like meeting the neighbors and they think that she lives there and they think that she's this high society person whereas she is comes from this other world and so it's just kind of about her struggles to to hold on to that life and um and kind of create a new version of herself i guess i didn't really connect with it that much 
mainly because I thought the acting was like really stilted and weird mm. and, and or or described another way bad but I've I've seen other people describe it as like deliberately um deliberately stagey I guess and and that and that that's part of the style of the film so um I, I guess I wouldn't want to discredit it for that reason, but it just didn't really work for me in the moment. Mm. But um, could be could be worth checking out for for someone if they uh, happen to come across it at some point. The intestine. Yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, I would say intestine. <laughs> the intestine. Yeah. Okay. Intestine. 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 Why did I think? Why did I think the intestine was a horror movie? I don't know. It just has a kind of a horror title. I don't know what the relation of the title is mm. at all. Okay. I'd call it a melodrama, but it almost has some thriller elements to it. The ending sort of takes it to a weird place huh. that feels more like a thriller, I guess. Uh, you got one more documentary to? Yeah. All right. Uh, I saw Quebec, My Country, Mon Pays is uh, kind of a personal documentary by this uh, filmmaker. He, uh, his family grew up in Quebec. Yeah. Um, so he talks, uh, he talks about when the uh, Quebec language laws were a big issue for the community and how the Anglof- Anglophones were feeling like they were being oppressed by these language laws. Um, so the, the tensions in the community over like, whether Quebec is for the French speaking or the English speaking. Um, he, he frames it in, in, in a personal light, like his, his family has to, has to decide whether to stay or not uh, and how they live in the community. Um, and uh, I, I appreciated it for like shedding light on that take on, on the Canadian experience. Um, one of my sister's friends uh, had, had mentioned to me a long time ago that they left uh, Montreal for that reason, but I never really, like, I never really um, thought too much of it because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I guess when I was growing up, I thought it was ancient history or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I remember saying uh, to, a, to a friend of mine who was from Quebec um, that, I, that, I knew, uh, that I knew friends who, who used to be in Quebec, but they moved out west because of the language laws. And, uh, and her attitude was, oh, well, you know, some people make a big deal out of nothing. Like she was just very dismissive about it, which I was surprised. Yeah. Um, so it was it was nice. It was it was interesting to hear like this this filmmaker's uh, uh, family history regarding the same issue because it um, you know for people who had to make that choice it was a big deal because yeah. it wasn't just that they were in a French community it was their community which was suddenly saying you don't belong here because your mother language is not French. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, I thought it was. I thought it's uh, a nice addition to just like you know um, recording family histories in Canada. Uh, I got one more Canadian feature, Modit Poutine. Yummy. Um, no, I d- I think Modit means something bad. Okay, like like rotten. I don't know. I don't know specifically what the translation of that word is into english but it doesn't sound good mm-hmm. and the movie doesn't leave a good taste in your mouth yeah so it's not good poutine <laughs> uh but the movie itself 
I don't know. I'm, I, it's another one that I'm kind of conflicted on, but um, don't really feel comfortable passing judgment on just because uh, I could have been like, I don't know the, the, the experience of watching these movies in a film festival. Like if you don't immediately connect with it, I find like, I, I find like I can't really, I can't comfortably articulate why I don't like something. Cause it could just be that I'm overtired or I've seen three other movies that day. And those, what, those are the ones that stick out kind of thing. Mm. But, um, this one is about a, um, I don't know what genre of music you'd call it, but maybe like, like hardcore post punk or something. <laughs> but it's it's just kind of like noisy, metally punky music, and um, they the members of this band decide that they're going to steal some weed. Uh, you don't actually see that on screen. It, it happens before the the main narrative of the film. Um, but they steal this weed. It turns out it was like the property of some biker gang, and they now owe ten thousand dollars to this biker gang, despite the fact that the weed that they stole was only worth like four thousand dollars, maybe. But it's because it wasn't. It hadn't. The, the the plants hadn't grown to their full potential, and therefore there was opportunity lost. Um, but so essentially they have no way of making up this money and um, the guy's brother is kind of mixed up with the the biker gang and so he tries to like reason with them but they're not having that Um, and it's just kind of this character's slow descent into madness as he tries to figure out what to do and uh, so it's shot in black and white and um, it was just a very deliberate unsettling just gross movie Hmm. yeah okay the look on your face <laughs> seems to uh, well. I mean, it conveys that it was unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. Would you recommend it? Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I didn't really see anything that I would I would just be like, this is a fucking piece of garbage, mm-hmm. and why would they program it in the first place? But I, whereas I definitely have had that experience mm-hmm. in previous years. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, it was. Sounds like it was a good run uh, for you. I think mostly, uh, I feel pretty positive about most of the things I saw as well. Yeah. So, um, want to talk about the short films we saw? Yep. So, yeah. Let's get into uh, some of the Canadian shorts, and then we'll open it up to uh, just other other. Open it up to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be taking questions. Yeah. Yeah. So call in. Uh, number is five 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 five. That's that's very nineteen eighties movie phone number. <laughs> but we'll. Uh, I was saying. I was. I was going to say. We'll just talk about uh, non-Canadian movies after these shorts. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I saw one shorts program. Yeah. And I saw two. What stood out for you? So I saw two programs. One was called Let's Compare Mythologies. The other was called Kith and Kin. I have done my research and determined that Kith refers to friends, acquaintances, and relations. So okay. similar to kin. Except kin is like blood relations, right? Blood. Yeah. Um, so a couple standouts. Uh, just so happens that they're primarily from people who I've come to meet at various social gatherings. 
but it's not I like I'm not I'm not mentioning these specifically because I know the directors and or or potentially actors and like feel a responsibility in that regard they just happen to be the better shorts that I saw they just coincidentally happen to be your kith probably not because I don't know if that's the right usage of the word (laughs) (laughs) but you're referring to the people being my kith yes but I don't know they're more or no Uh, acquaintances yes okay yeah yeah. right can you dig it yeah Shaft? Right. Yeah, but I, I did it with, I said kin, you dig it. Oh, see, I wouldn't have picked up on that pun. No, no, we have to write these down. We have to write down our jokes to get to convey them to each other. But we're talking to each other. Yeah, but we're not, it's not connecting. But you were saying. Uh, so uh, I guess I'll just go in the order that I wrote them down. Sure. Uh, so the Movie Land movie, which is a short documentary about the uh, Movieland Arcade on Granville Street. Oh, I've gone there to play pinball. Gone there uh, also to play pinball, actually, yeah. I played the Transformers pinball. Uh, but this one focuses more on the Street Fighter game that they have in the in the arcade, and specifically like this battle that ensued between these two epic Street Fighter players, and actually the guy who made it, um, Zachary Kerr-Holden, uh, is himself a competitive Street Fighter 2 player for what it's worth uh, I didn't know such a thing existed but it's totally awesome that it does exist well, back up did you say this is a documentary it is a dork- okay, documentary so this is this is a real thing that yeah. they oh, are yeah, yeah, yeah. okay alright yeah, so like, not a made so up like within the documentary he kind of creates this rivalry between these two guys mm. both of which are like the experts of Street Fighter 2 and um it's just interesting how he like creates these characters around them and he kind of uses like the Scott Pilgrim like like digital text over over top of the image of like like so and so like age 26 specialty character or whatever like he does that kind of video gamey thing in terms of the the visual effects uh but it also just it it also focuses in on it being this kind of cultural institution in the city of Vancouver and how the owner doesn't really care about making money on it. He just wants people to go and have fun playing arcade games because obviously he could sell it to a developer and mm-hmm. and make a lot of money. Although, from a zoning perspective, I think a lot of the properties along Granville are protected from a heritage com- aspect. So they, uh, but that typically only means that they really need to protect the facade of the building. But mm-hmm. anyway... Um, I'd need to do more research into the zoning to really determine what you could do there. But at a minimum, you could get that get the arcade out and put in some high-end retailer and make a lot more money. But then we have no place to go to play to play pinball. And yeah, and so and so he kind of he gets into that a bit and how the the um, the guy at the front just kind of has just been kind of sitting there reading his newspaper for thirty years and handing out quarters to people and like mm-hmm. so it's just an interesting kind of pastiche i guess you would say maybe uh of this place in our city that um i haven't really frequented but is clearly beloved by many people and um there's also some like awesome video game fighting going on in there it seems like so cool it's good okay next up nine behind um director is sophie rumvari i don't know if i'm saying that right but um she has created a maybe like 10 minute short film about uh it just sort of takes place in this in this young girl's apartment 
as she um, calls her grandfather. And you kind of discover through the conversation that they have this strange relationship, that they haven't uh, spoken to each other in many years, it seems like, but that they're both artists and that they're able to connect on that level. And um, I just, I, I, I found it fascinating and just very true to life because um, I've had I've had experiences in my life of, of calling family members and reconnecting with family members over the phone that um, I had spoken to in, in years. And um, just kind of the, you almost go, th- you go through these, these sort of hills and valleys and ebbs and flows in those kinds of conversations where there's, there's awkward silences and there's, there's anger and there's happiness. And you kind of, you go through the full gamut of emotions in this short period of time. It's almost like, um, it's almost like life in, in, in fast forward, I guess I would describe it as because, um, yeah, you just, you, you have to re-experience things so quickly because you're, you're immediately going back to what you, what you used to think of this person, but then also wanting to create something new with the person and it all kind of collapses in on itself. And I think the technology has a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, all these feelings came out to you yeah. uh, watching this film yeah yeah mm. it was it was fantastic and the and the actor I, I don't know her name off the top of my head but she was just phenomenal and oh and the and the other element that comes into it as well is is the language barrier that um her her grandfather's hungarian and so they're like she's it, it's actually all subtitled um yeah it was really good mm. next up cabbie which won another award I think it was the, the so so cabbie won the ignite award which recognized the outstanding work of a female key creative on a bc produced feature or short presented by telus so that's a, actually a pair of female directors jessica parsons and jennifer chu and um it was a bit longer i think but it um it follows three cab drivers in the city of vancouver um and but then but then also has three actors portraying them i guess because they wanted to protect their identities um so i think in general terms they the the actors that they cast were reflective of the character's general age gender and ethnicity i guess but otherwise um the voices that you hear do not relate to the the people that you see driving the cabs but i guess they they didn't they needed something for a, for a visual for the documentary, so they have these three people driving around in the cabs as the corresponding um, real people talk. So the actors are saying the things that were recorded. No, in no. The so no, so it's all voiceover, and um, you just see you see the actors driving around in the cabs and not speaking, and then you hear the the real people behind those actors talking in voiceover okay um and they're just kind of relaying their stories of you know just things about how like they they're renting these cabs and they don't have they often don't don't you know make enough fares to to even just cover the rental costs and and just so just have the struggle of of that life but then uh, there's an older older woman who um she just kind of enjoys it as a as a profession and you know gets out and and drives around and talks to people and um, is able to connect with them and and just kind of enjoys it as a as as a way to live her life and and it's not like she she says at one point like a lot of people think that you know i'm forced into this but i've 
chosen it kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so it just creates a, uh, just a, a spectrum of understanding of, of kind of who these people are that, uh, you know, drive you around at the middle of the night. And um, unfortunately, it ends with a drone shot at the end. You have a hate on for drone shots, don't you? Yeah, we talked about that high to go high. <laughs> and I just don't get it. Like I haven't, I haven't, other than, other than super awesome skateboard videos and snowboard videos where they use <laughs> drones, I have not seen a good use of a drone. Okay. I'm guessing Terrence Malick will be the one to lead that charge because he's got lots of GoPro footage in his newest film and it's totally awesome and also very artful and inspired. Um, but I just haven't seen that with the drones. It's just like, oh, like now we're floating up into the air. Why? I think it's like any technology toys let's all use them until we find a you know until we i think we everyone wants to do it better than the last person and then once it's exhausted we'll do something different but it's just it's just kind of an unmotivated shot too because it's just it's just going up but that's all the thing like can you is there motivation for that shot or is it there yeah yeah so yeah Yeah. i I, in this case i didn't think there was but overall good times um next up cave of size directed by uh, Nathan Douglas and then also shot and colored by uh, Devin Scott Mm. who has been on the podcast and edited and sound designed by Will Ross Mm. who was also on the podcast and uh, have spoken to Nathan about uh, joining us on a future episode Cave of Size is a it's also a short film because that's what we're talking about still yeah and it is this man and woman, boy and girl, whatever you want to call them, who arrive back to one of their apartments. Uh, it's the girl's apartment. And um, they're there under the pretenses of sort of a one-night stand. They've, they've met at a bar or whatever. But as they try to make their way to the bedroom, um, the, the power's gone out. And so they are lit by candlelight and they wander past these uh, religious paintings that the girl's grandmother had left her. And so um, at each of these paintings, they kind of stop and reflect on their religious ideas. And um, the, the girl is reflecting on, on kind of her grandmother and, and it just kind of brings up, I guess, I guess the guy was raised Catholic, but he's no longer really religious, but it's bringing up these conflicting feelings with him. And, and it's kind of like, they're by the end of it it's like should we should we embrace this moment of intimacy or should we not and um how does i guess our upbringing reflect that my my description of it sounds really pretentious and like before i saw it i was kind of concerned that i wasn't going to like it just for the religious components of it but it it does come across very naturally and um and the acting is is fantastic and and I yeah I, I did find it find it very moving and um, reflective of my own I guess inhibitions with um, exploring intimacy and relationships and um, kind of the uncertainty that you that you have to embrace when um, connecting with another person on that level. So it was very good. Okay. Sounds like you evoked a lot of uh, feelings from you. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any? Uh, do you, have you ever gone to the beach and picked up shells, held them up to your ear, and they go? <sighs> no, 
No, okay. And what's the context here? <laughs> if they came from the Cave of Sighs with the shells. I, I, I'm not sure what the significance of the title is, but I'm sure it is significant in some regard. Because <laughs> it is a very deliberate title. You know, I found a lot of the short films, the titles are a bit um, vague in terms of how they relate to the content, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, maybe that's just, that's just part of uh, how short films are, are, are done. They, sure. you know, they're a little bit more... Uh, less on the nose, or yeah, yeah they 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 make you think about it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. The movie land movie and cabbie are very deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> what they are is what you get. Right. Have you ever sat in the cab and then when it's really quiet, all you hear is Street Fighter Two <sighs> sound effects? <laughs> no, I have not. So what do you got? Uh, okay, so the shorts program I saw was called Space and Time. Three of them stood out for me. The first one because of the visual trick that it was doing. It was called uh, 24, 24, 24. Or is it uh, 24.24.24? doesn't matter. So it's, uh, it's, um, it's a static shot of a building. It looks like, it looks like it's uh, in Montreal or Quebec. Um, it's, uh, actually, I'm pretty sure it's Montreal because you can see like, the, 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 that little thing that sticks out that's part of the Olympic uh, Park in the background. Anyway. Uh, it's a static shot of this building, but the screen is divided up into uh, vertical sections. And so each of these vertical sections um, has uh, has a piece of the image, but each section could be in a different could be a different time of day. So I think he shot this footage like over twenty four hours. Uh, so you have day and night. But uh, the middle of the screen could be in daylight, and then the ends could be in in at nighttime, or it could be like an effect where it's it's sequencing across the screen so that um, it's transitioning, or it could it could play with time so that one person who it would be one person or a vehicle passing through the frame is now occupying each piece of that uh, frame in, in okay. time. So it's um, so looking at it, it's a really dazzling trick, and it's um, very impressive. Like uh, and. Uh, I I enjoyed watching it for most of its running time, but I just felt that I felt it went a little bit long. Uh, but I thought it was a dazzling trick, and uh, maybe if I, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think you could, I could find it, perhaps on YouTube, and and just like want to sit down and watch it for a bit to see to see if I get any, get anything else out of it. Mm-hmm. So twenty four dot twenty four dot twenty four, and that uh, oh uh, the director was. Daniel Dietzel. Um, I liked By the Pool, which is the uh, English title. I forget what the French title was, but it's, uh, it, it was by a Quebec filmmaker, Karine Belanger. It was about these group of kids at a community swimming pool, um, like young workers who uh, manage the pool. And uh, you kind of see their day-to-day routine. Um, just uh, as lifeguards or in the evening they come back and they just they kind of fool around in the pool but I just love the uh, the way it showed these kids interacting it seemed very natural it seemed like you know that kind of um, sort of used the cliched expression but you know fly on the wall it, it looked like there, there was like life going on oblivious to a camera being there and it just seemed like it was the real thing um, it seemed out of time it could have been from 20 years ago it could have been from last week it just seemed like people having fun at the pool and then there's like a weird element to it uh that um 
I, I don't feel like I, uh, I, I need to talk about it here, but there's just like another element to it that isn't explained. Uh, the characters kind of remark to each other like, well, that's, that's kind of odd, but it's not explained. And it just, it just sits there as like this other element that you either equate it with the theme of the film or you don't. Um, I, I thought it was just this uh, expression of, this more symbolic expression of, this is where life happens. Like people, communities come together and they have a place to play. And I, so I thought, I thought that was really good. And uh, I also wanted to talk about uh, Oh, What a Wonderful Feeling. The director is Francois Jarreau. I think it was from Quebec, but I think there was like very minimal dialogue, so I don't, I don't recall it. Um, but it was, uh, the story was about a group of prostitutes um, who go to this truck stop, um, this, this roadside, um, uh, you know, like a pull-off rest stop where all these trucks come in and, um, and they, they service people who come to the truck stop. And it's all done in shadows. Like there's, uh, the lighting is fantastic. There's like, you know, pools of light. People come in and out of the light. There's people lurking in the shadows. You kind of, you see faces in silhouette. It's um, just like the control over the mood again was just, was just so, so good. And it was, it was like a bad dream or something, you know, like a surreal film where you're not really sure if this is really happening, but you're seeing something that doesn't exist in your own reality. Uh, so I, I was just like really intrigued by it. Um, and uh, like another movie that spent more time in that world or, or, or expanded on the story, I, I'd be totally into. But as, it's, uh, as it exists as a, as a 15 minute short, I think it, 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 was, uh, it was just really eerie and, uh, and odd and interesting. So those are the ones that stood out in, uh, in the short program I saw. Nice. So we've touched on a lot of Canadian content. Congratulations, I think, to us, because that's, that's more Canadian films than I usually watch at the film festival. Yeah, yeah, I so saw lots, uh, lots of good Canadian movies. Yeah. Um, did anything stand out in terms of the rest of what was available at the festival? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say the two standouts from, I don't know, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but um, Tony Erdman in particular was fantastic. That's a German drama comedy. I would say like almost farcical comedy to a certain extent, but then yeah, almost like very. It can be very melancholy at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I saw that as well. I think that's one of my favorite movies at the festival. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's certainly one of my one of the favorite movies I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it um, takes place primarily in Romania, but it is about a German family. Um, framed by the daughter and the father of the family and uh, the daughter works as a consultant uh, primarily for oil companies and um, it seems like primarily she focuses on like restructurings and um, downsizings and it just kind of allows these companies and their executives to kind of not take responsibility for the more drastic changes that they need to make within their organizations. Um, and you, you kind of get the, you get the sense that she's not satisfied in this job and, and that, um, you know, it's, it, it, it sort of 
wearing her out and, and kind of bearing down on her. Uh, and then her father is a, uh, a teacher. He lives a very simple life, but he's also this kind of buffoon that dresses up in costume and in disguise and um, just takes pleasure in messing with people and, and joking around. Um, and so he shows up at her job in Romania and proceeds to um, just interrupt business meetings and uh, cause trouble for her, but ultimately is able to teach her sort of larger lessons about life and um, and I would say actually help her do her job better and even create new opportunities for her that didn't exist previously. Um, what you described sounds like it, it could be like a, a standard... Um, family drama comedy yeah i think i think what doesn't uh i think what caught me off guard was that uh like the the father it's not really it's not really obvious at first whether you're supposed to laugh with him or not you're just you're just left like watching him saying like why is he acting like that is that like it's not quite funny except it is kind of funny that he's trying to do it I thought it was hilarious from the start. Yeah, like, okay. like when he, when he, um, the the movie opens with him um, receiving a package, um, but he's like, "Oh, my brother ordered that," and then so he goes in to like get his brother, but then he comes back out as himself, except with these teeth on and with like a different different set of clothing on or whatever, and he appears to be different to this delivery yeah. person. What I mean, and, is- and when when I started laughing was when he was like, "Oh yeah, my brother went to jail for." Um, for like putting putting bombs in envelopes. <laughs> yeah, no, he seems like the character is really good at like like improvising or telling these lies that go to the next level. Yeah. What what for me was weird was I, I didn't know if he thought he was. I don't. I didn't know if he thought that he was effective in the disguise or if he just thought people would play along. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of it is just like a very, um, like. It's it's like it's almost like Clark Kent putting on the glasses or taking the glasses yeah, off, right? It's yeah. like now he's a different person. Now he's Superman. If he takes the glasses yeah. off, and you just expect people to go along with it, yeah. and he will he'll, he'll he'll put in these false teeth, and he'll say like now I'm another person, yeah. and whether people play along or not is yeah. like is is kind of critical because um, like are they just humoring him or do they believe his story? Yeah. And and I think and it, well, and I think that that ultimately is the the central conflict of the movie because. Um, at the beginning, the the daughter is just humoring him and also almost trying to push him off and just be like, "Oh, come on! Like, are you going to do this again? Like, please! Like, I, I'm. This is a very important meeting. Like, I need to focus on this." But he just is so committed to his craft that mm-hmm. he cannot break yeah. character. And um, but by the end, she embraces it and and even herself decides to make some like pretty drastic decisions in her own life that could very negatively affect her her career. Um, but is fully committed to them and will not will not break character yeah yeah um did you ever see Lars von Trier's The Idiots no no okay it, a little bit of this movie reminded me of The Idiots where it was it is like how much are you willing to commit to the bit yeah yeah um yeah and I, I totally admired the performances by um the father and the daughter yeah um I, I they just felt like real characters uh ah, fuck that's a cliche why did i say that i feel so embarrassed that i said that anyway i just mean like i couldn't see them acting yeah like she even there's a there's a there's a scene where she 
she just sings uh, while he's playing piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really, I hate, I kind of hate scenes in movies where actors have to pretend that they're less talented. Yeah. Like they have to pretend like they have right, a rough right, talent. Right. Yeah. But she pulls it off. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think, the, and you can tell, I, uh, like we, I think all three. Uh, shows at the festival for this movie were sold out. Yeah, um, you can feel like the energy in the audience. Just oh, yeah. like no, really... there, there was like spontaneous clapping yeah. in the audience yeah. at two occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember what both of them were, but oh yeah, one of them was at the at the the like brunch party at the end, her birthday party at the mm-hmm. end when when her boss shows up. Okay, and yeah. he is uh, in a in a in a he certain has, level. He has of to. Attire. He's going to commit to the bit or not. Yeah. Right, yeah, and when he shows up, everyone clapped. And then um, there was another instance as well. Maybe, maybe might have been the singing, like mm-hmm. when she when she finished her song. Yeah. Um, but that birthday scene, like I w- it, I was like horrified at first because I thought she had just like completely lost her mind and just like flipped a switch and like she was done. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of it, it's like laugh out loud, hilarious, and it, like I've never, I don't, I don't think I've ever laughed as hard as I did at that scene. Mm-hmm. Just how it develops, it's so fucking good. Yeah, um, yeah, and and it has a very heartfelt ending too, mm-hmm. um, and and just such a positive message. And but but it still doesn't feel false or contrived. Like it, it just it's just perfectly executed. I don't know. It's just a fucking great movie. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have, but it doesn't have like the obvious payoffs that you would, you might expect if this was an American movie. Like mm-hmm. the, like her job, it, it seems to be killing her a little bit, but yeah. she's still, again, she's committing to it because it's her job. She yeah. has to, she has to consult about like how to downsize this company. Mm-hmm. In a different, in a lesser movie, they would find a solution where everyone keeps their jobs, everyone's happy. But yeah. that's not or, this. Or like she would quit and that would be the yeah, res- resolution but that's, to that's that. that's not this story. This is a story about people who they have to earn a living. They have to do certain choices in life and it's killing them. But maybe there's a way that you could, you could still uh, assert your, uh, you know, your life, uh, your, your personality and, and say like, don't take, don't take shit so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. What you got? Mm. I mentioned that I wanted to see the model because it was by the director who made uh, Teddy Bear. So yeah. I saw that. I liked it enough. It, it was fine. What what surprised me, what I appreciated was um, it starts out, it's the story of this young girl who goes to, to Paris to model. And then she seems a little bit like maybe this is too much for her. Maybe you know she's not going to get along with these people. Maybe it's just a bit too intense. And then she she decides she's going she's gonna to go for it. And the film is not afraid to show that she's kind of ugly, she's kind of a monster, and that was the that was the unique take on the story of a young girl who goes to Paris to model that I thought was uh, was enjoyable. That this is not about an innocent girl; it's about a girl who's like, I'm gonna make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Olivier Assayas's Personal Shopper. Um, I guess his second collaboration with Kristen Stewart after Clouds of Sils Maria. Which was that last year? I think it was two years ago. I think it was last year. It could have been last year. Yeah, yeah. It was it was his previous one though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I unfortunately those are the only two of his that I've seen. Um, I've got a copy of Carlos that you lent to me sitting on my sitting on my um, thing below my television, whatever you call that a piece shelf? of furniture. No, it's like a TV it's stand. Like a, it's like an ottoman. I don't know. It's more. It's more of like a. It's got drawers. Okay. But it 
the TV sits on it. Yeah. But it's, it's made of wood. The TV shrine pedestal. Pedestal. Okay. Pedestal. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I still recommend it. Yeah. Because uh, when you give it back, I'm going to watch it again. Then we're talking about Carlos. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Clouds of Sales Maria and Personal Shopper are also good stuff. Okay. Uh, Personal Shopper is, um, as I mentioned, starring Kristen Stewart. She is uh, a personal shopper for a model. She essentially puts together her outfits and um, she's work, working and living in Paris. But she, it, similar to Tony Erdman, actually kind of frustrated with her job, um, but for different reasons than Tony Erdman is stuck um, in in particular because her um, her brother died in this house that I maybe that I think that they lived in um, and she needs to she's essentially looking for a message from him from the afterlife so that she can move on um, and so she goes back to this house a number of times and um, does see some spirits but not her brother and uh, so she, she's just kind of on this personal quest to um, to uncover uh, this message from from her dead brother, um, and it's sort of implied that she's a medium of sorts, and that but that he would he had stronger powers in that regard, and so it's kind of supernatural, but still feels very rooted in reality. So it's it's the, the, like the genre elements of it are flimsy, not flimsy in the sense that they're poorly constructed but um, maybe just different from what you would normally expect yeah yeah. like it's not a horror movie I guess you would say Mm. Um, but there are scary moments I guess but yeah it was really good and um, just kind of exploring grief and loss and um, like feeling stuck all of those things well executed and well acted there's really one last one that I want to talk about did you have more um no did you see endless poetry no oh okay yeah i i did contribute to the kickstarter though so i will be getting a digital copy of the film at some point oh nice nice i'm hoping that um or is it a movie is it sorry what does 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 alejandro jodorowsky make films or movies (laughs) um i think he makes art yeah uh endless poetry is art as is um the dance of reality. The danza della realidad. Yeah. Uh, if he completes, like, so it seems like he's um, on course to make this trilogy of uh, of a fantastical autobiography. Yeah. Uh, when he's finished, I I want to sit down and watch all three of them again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, endless poetry is the is the second part of that. It uh, it deals with his uh, young adulthood. Um, so one of his sons plays him. Um, the just, same, the same son that plays him in the first one. No, no, that was also his naked son in El Topo. No, his naked son, <laughs> the naked son from El Topo, uh, plays his father. Okay, yeah, and he still plays his father in the second one. Yeah, and so it's his oh, other. That's right. yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's his his other son plays his plays him as a young man. Or is it in, the son's son? Endless poetry. No, no, they're both his sons. But in in Dance of Reality, yeah. it's his son's son. It's his grandson that plays him. Yeah, as a little boy. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. yeah. So now he's in the next phase of his life. It's it's surreal again, uh, but it's not as no surprise there. It's not as um, it's not as crazy as Dance of Reality. So it, it kind of settles into like a, a more or less a plain narrative yeah. um, in, in the uh, for the bulk of, of endless poetry. But there's still like great visuals and uh, interesting 
just interesting ideas being expressed. It is, it's fantastic. Like yeah. I, I loved it. Okay. I and I just, uh, you know, when it gets a proper release or a limited release, when yeah, you yeah. go to see it, I would like to see it again. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I, I think it's it's just art that uh, comes about so infrequently, mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm really touched by uh, by witnessing an artist tell such a personal story, but telling it in such a fantastical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, I think it's really good. Um, so the, uh, the son who plays the young Jodorowsky, um, he was at the, he was, he was a guest at the festival oh, wow. and he appeared and he shared some anecdotes about, uh, working with his father and, and all that stuff. So, um, so it was, that was a nice, nice capper to the evening to, cool. to hear about, uh, what this means to, to him as, uh, you know, have, being somewhat removed, but, but of, of, of the same family and all to hear what it means to him as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I, I don't know exactly why I missed it, but oh well. Uh, so with that, I think we'll wrap it up in terms of our uh, festival coverage, post-festival coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for you, which was the most annoying sponsors logo thing? Well, I, I get annoyed by the, by the festival trailer that they play before every movie mm-hmm. because... It's just the same set of images that you end up seeing in our in our cases like twenty times or whatever. Yeah, it's and and it's like it's it's not drawing your attention to any particular film because it's not as if any of the images are on screen long enough to even put the title of the movie up and that for that to register. And so I don't see what it's accomplishing because you're already at the festival and they're advertising to get your attention about the festival. Yeah, yeah, it I, just I makes agree. no sense. I agree. Yeah, that one is well. I think just because of repetition, they all they all seem a bit pointless after a while. Well, yeah, but the telefilm one, it's just it's a it's like an animated graphic, and it's telefilm. And like, it's okay, o- great, but it's do the same produced. For- yeah, that thing is overproduced. It looks like a fucking sprite ad. <laughs> I'm just looking for a sprite sponsorship. <laughs> uh, if anyone out there has watched the Eric Andre show. One of the running bits on the most recent season of that show. Do you know the Eric Andre show? Yeah. It's like I know a, who he is, but I've watched. Yeah, show. so it's like a it's like a spoof on late night talk shows, I guess. Okay. Um, and so the the interview segments are just him like deliberately trying to fuck with people, but he does these like man on the street segments as well. And one of them that he's been doing this season is he's like dressed with a sprite T-shirt on, and he's got like bones sticking out of his leg, or like in one of them in one of them they're doing like a focus group, and then he just drops through the ceiling with a parachute on <laughs> and he's like I'm looking for the sprite building like but he's and he's like 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 visibly concussed and like bleeding everywhere and he's like oh I'm just looking for a I'm just looking for the sprite rep like I want a sprite sponsorship I, I can do all the tricks and like these people are just like so put off by it and like are even like physically violent toward him even though even though he's like very visibly hurt and like it's it's so batshit crazy <laughs> So anyway, Eric Andre show is better than the telefilm animation before the film <laughs> festival. <laughs> this year, I hated that um, the Telus one. Oh yeah, uh, what what do you like? That's local. Yeah, fuck that thing. That thing stinks of like corporate marketing. That's oh, yeah. like well, no, because yeah. because Telus is Telus is marketing a whole, or they're doing a whole like filmmaker incubation program oh, where they okay. where they give out prizes to yeah, people yeah. who get the most votes on social media right. no but i i mean the, the the content of their ad though it just seems so fucking phony like, yeah. like marketing focus group phony yeah like 
So this is off my cat put on the show. <laughs> I can't put on the podcast, but why not? Who cares? Just giving the finger to the sponsors. Anyway. Of course. All right. Um, like they, the the voiceover is like, what do you like that's local, right? And the first fucking thing that comes on. So I don't know why I have to say fuck someone. Because it's bullshit, dude. Okay. The first the first comment is, I like um, local coffee roasters. Who the fuck says local coffee roasters? What does that mean? Like the guy who. <laughs> The, you harvest the beans and you have to take it to a processing plant to get them roasted. That's who they're talking about. I love the guy who processes the beans so you can before it goes to the store. Yeah, it's not even. I love coffee. Well, there are some good local coffee roasters like Parallel Forty Nine. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, they roast their own coffee. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and um, Elysian. Okay, they also do roast their coffee. Okay, but it's not about it's not about coffee shops or baristas or whatever or the cafe scene is about it's the, the roasters, people who yeah. do the roasting yeah, yeah. i thought it just seems it just seems so fucking phony and but the worst part of it the worst the most egregious kind of like the thing that that grates on me is the little kid who who likes baseball yeah right what because what little kid says i love local baseball yeah. it's so fucking fake it, yeah, it drives me no nuts. Sense. It drives and, me nuts, and, and it's it's very clearly overdubbed. Yeah, and like not, even 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 like the screaming is is overdubbed, and, and like, it's the weirdest it's the weirdest reaction. She says, "I love local baseball." Uh, uh, uh. So, it is so weird that why did they take? They have hey to have man, another take. Don't hate on the Vancouver Canadians, okay? I don't hate on the Vancouver Canadians. You Canadians. like local baseball? I like I like to attend a Canadians game, right? But That's local baseball, bro. But you wouldn't make a distinction between local baseball. It's the only baseball in town. And the fact, and the fact that a that a precocious child is is saying this. Yeah, those are not words that would come out of a little kid's mouth. No. Yeah, and and the and the sh- and the shot before it is the like the guy who drops his ice cream. Why not have the kid say I love ice cream and some other person say I love local? Anyway, yeah. But but when they come to when they cap it off, right? Which is which is the reason for the ad? Yeah. Like the Telus, uh, their uh, their social media driven story. Story it's called. Okay, when they get to that, they don't have someone to deliver the line. Because um, yeah. he just, I like uh, film and local TV. Yeah, he doesn't even say local film. <laughs> they can't even get the last line. And there's, like, local TV does not exist in this province. Like, there's no, there's no Vancouver-produced television shows. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe there are, but I don't think there really are. Like, CBC doesn't have any stuff that's shot in Vancouver, I don't think. Um, but CCTV. there's no sense of local television no, there's not like a locally shot story about a Vancouver neighborhood or anything like that. No, no it's, I mean, yeah. It's complete it, it's, nonsense. It's fake. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and the fact that he stutters through the line too, just, it's like, why? I love uh, film. Because it makes it more real, right? <laughs> it just makes it a poorly produced ad. But I think it's one of those things that they've, you know they've gone through it so much. They know like, oh, this this line has to have a pause in it, and this one doesn't. Like, it's, it's but they're hiring actors to do it, and it, like, so it's it's just it's it's artificial from the get go. It so is. Why not have someone say something eloquently and articulately, or or, or write something that sounds half natural? Yeah. Instead of not, I love uh film. Yeah. <laughs> I think hey. we we spent about as much time on the Telus ad as we did on any of the <laughs> films that we saw at yeah. the festival. <laughs> but uh, but I'm glad for the sponsors who make the festival happen, and I'm glad that we got we got. Uh, we oh got yeah, Telus will to, continue uh, to sponsor festival. the festival regardless of our rants. That's for sure. <laughs>
Okay, that was the uh, 2016 edition of the Vancouver International Film Festival. We have a website. It's www.filmedincanada.net. And our email is filmedincanada at gmail.com. And, and I'm on Twitter at Married to a Fly. T O, Married to a Fly. And I hope you enjoyed all that talk about films, Canadian films and otherwise. Uh, we will have another regular episode for you soon. Yay! Yay.